Well, good morning, LCM. Today is October 8th, and we're only eight days away from the pastors and the elders arriving in Gatlinburg at the One Association Conference. The rest of us will gather three days later on Thursday the 19th. I want this community to know that the One Association is far more than an annual conference. We're a brotherhood. We are the body of Christ. We are the fraternal order of the DCD. And we are the light to the world in Christ that draws the nations to the fire of God. Friends, we're on the precipice of the greatest advancement of the gospel in our community's history. As always, these times, well, they'll be marked by unity that can only come from sincere mutual sacrifice. And that unity will be marked by power that flows from it to the lost and dying nations all around us. The holy fire of Adonai's burning presence is the hope of transformation in the nations. And we together, in our persons, will carry that torch to every nation on earth. This effort will move from our various locations, from Indonesia and Peru and Romania and Italy and all of the domestic churches and our brothers in India back to Jerusalem where the gospel story began. Church, it's going to be an auspicious occasion today. It happens to be the last service that all the Stevens will be together in our home church. Very soon, Abby is going to be a Ledesma and a vital, integral role of the arising church. My older brother has his eyes set on the nation soon and very soon. And Cody and his family are looking to do the very same in the years to come. And my father will continue to traverse the various works as a man wandering without a home. Wandering Armenian. (laughs) Today, but today, we're all together, and we intend to make, uh, well, every moment count. Yes. Church, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Our title this morning is A Great and Strange Sight. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's begin in the place and with the event that our God used to birth his holy nation out of another through the transformation of Moses. Exodus 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Say amen, Jennifer. (laughs) When the Lord saw that he, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said. Here I am. This is an amazing place to start the transformation of a man. 
This is an incredible way to begin the purification of a family. Yes. This is a great and strange way to begin the process of a nation becoming the light of God. The fact that by all natural estimations, this bush would only have burned as long as it could provide fuel for the fire. And it did not burn out. The fire should have only lasted as long as the bush could provide fuel. That's true. Saints, somebody say a great, a great. and a strange sight. Saints, this is a passage that legions of sermons have been preached on. Yeah. I mean, it's a topic through the millennia. Yeah. They usually emphasize the self-existent nature of God, that he is who he is, or the I am that I am, meaning that God is independent of any other condition. He doesn't need fuel. He is fire without the fuel. Saints, this certainly is an indication of who Adonai is. However... That is not why Moses initially went over to the bush. No, it's not. He didn't get a theological download and say, oh, this is who God is. I'm going to go learn about him. What does the text indicate? It says that he saw a great or strange sight that drew him in. Specifically, the text says that Moses turned aside to see why the bush is not burned meaning that it was not meeting the natural expectation. He could see something that was wrong, that was not normal. He expected it to be consumed, and it was not. Saints, this divine demonstration, look, what this is, is an extraordinary statement, not just about who Adonai is, but more to our point this morning, how he engages with men and grasps their attention, draws them in. It gives you an indication of how Adonai works in a fallen world to capture the attention of men who are in need of a holy encounter that will produce transformation. Look, as we move forward, we have much to cover this morning. We want you to understand that the setting for the calling of Moses was a great and strange sight, something that was on fire and yet not consumed. That didn't stay with Moses. Moses' transformation was something that was instrumental. This moment in time changed everything because Moses would then go on to develop the family of Israel. And he was the instrument for the drawing of the very first nation back to Yahweh in service with him. You guys have that? The legions of sermons about the self-existent nature of God and its associ his association with the burning bush. Moses didn't have those. He simply saw something very strange that defied all natural expectations. And that is what drew him in. Something that was on fire, but not consumed. We're going to move forward in our time for the next passage by about five centuries. The setting is centuries after the transformation of Moses. It is already deep into the familial development of Israel. We're going to pick up around the year 1000 B.C. with the son of David and the temple that Solomon built. Are you all ready? Yeah. We're going to be in 1 Kings 7, and I'm going to start in verse 48. So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord. The golden altar, the golden table for the bread of his presence, the lamp stands of pure gold. Five on the south, five on the north. 
before the inner sanctuary. The flowers, the lamps, the tongs of gold, the cups, snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, the fire pans of pure gold, the sockets of gold, for the doors of the innermost part of the house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. Thank you, ESV. The details that we just read, well, I get how they could seem trivial to you, but nothing is trivial in the Bible. The layout being described for Solomon's temple significantly differs from the original design given to Moses. Yeah, it does. This fact represents either a departure from the original design or progressive revelation in the development of the original design. It should become quite clear, quite obvious to you that what's happening is not a departure, but it is intended development of the transformation that started with Moses and worked through the family of Israel and ultimately birthed the nation that Adonai would use as a light for the entire world. We're going to help you understand that development. Let's start by reviewing something that you are all familiar with. Let's take a look at this slide. We have our tabernacle complex. You see the menorah, seven-branch menorah, the lampstand, the one that is there. The original design of the tabernacle only had, <laughs> only had one menorah. One eternally burning representation of the Spirit of God. Somebody say one menorah. One menorah. However, in the development of the revelation that Moses and the family of Israel received, the family of Israel and the nation would be a light to the world. The tabernacle was des design was expanded upon. It was developed in the Solomonic Temple into a layout and a design that featured ten menorahs. Somebody say ten. ten. Not one. Not one. Ten. ten. Take a look Let's at take this. Take your next slide. You see, what was one menorah is expanded to ten. Specifically, we have five on the north and five on the south. With that in mind, when you're considering this development, it is progressive revelation that has been given to Moses and the family of Israel. But you can see that with this expansion of ten menorahs, and remember, every menorah has seven branches. Instead of having one menorah or seven flames, we suddenly have a total of 70 flames burning that should never be extinguished. Look, when you're thinking about that number 70, consider that what started as one menorah. One menorah before one man, one family, and one nation who have been called out, well, has now developed into one flame perpetually, eternally burning as a signal for every other nation on the entire earth that would be a great and a strange sight intended to draw them to the true and almighty God. Saints, you need to understand, the goal was never to stay with one nation drawn to the one true God. That was just the beginning. Yeah. It was always intended to expand and to grow into something that drew every nation on earth to the great, glorious, and also strange sight. That is Adonai working inside of a fallen world among things that should be consumed, but are not. Let's continue to move forward in time. We're now going to read from Isaiah, who lived about 300 years after Solomon and about 700 years after Moses. This comes from Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 6. And 
The Foreigners. Not the group, not the band. That's Foreigner. <laughs> and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord Amen. to minister to him. Wow. To love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples or nations. Now you may remember from my son's reading to you that it was originally Moses who saw a great and strange sight that drew him into the service of the Lord on the holy mountain. Come on. But in Isaiah's day, he prophesied something different. He says, now, who shall minister to the Lord? Foreigners. Who shall be brought to the holy mountain of transformation? Foreigners. Who shall be full of joy? Foreigners. Whose sacrifices will be accepted? Foreigners. Foreigners. That's right. Foreigners. Talk about you people. While the original... Yeah, get it, Marlon. You and me. We're not going to talk about knowing what it's like to be a foreigner in a strange land. Yeah. While the original and great and strange sight was for Moses, and it transformed Moses' life, it transformed the family of Israel, and it transformed into the holy nation of Israel. Isaiah prophesied that Adonai's house would be a house of prayer for all nations. Yes. Meaning foreigners. This is a progressive revelation, and it is a development of God's people. It began with the transformation of Moses, and it progressed to all of Israel. Ultimately, the purpose was for the nation to become a great and strange sight that drew all nations to Adonai. The first menorah was not replaced. Nine were added to yes. it. The first nation was not replaced. Other nations are added and included. We are saved with Israel, never without Israel. But there is a development in this great and strange sight that moved from a man to a family to a nation to the nations. Now, this is LCM, and you are biblically literate. For that reason, we are not going to read Mark eleven seventeen, that states this always is the intention of Adonai. Additionally, we are not going to read John 2, where Jesus was filled with zeal for his father's house, meaning its purpose. Or put another way, Jesus was zealous for the intention of Israel becoming the light of the world, a burning flame for all the world to see. Engage with that for just a second. How many of you have ever quoted, and zeal for his father's house consumed him? Yeah, of course. Did you think that he meant the bricks and mortar? Did you think that he just meant love for the place where God's name dwelt? It's for the purpose for which that building stood that it would become a light to the nations, that it would have ten menorahs blazing, one for every nation on earth, that it would express God's desire for the nations of the world to be drawn to the very same thing Moses was. Now, saints, we've been having a good time the last few weeks. Have you learned something over the past few Sundays? My father has been absent here for several weeks. 
but he does work to stay in step with what our pastors are teaching us here while he's away. Last week in the message, Pinnacle of Sukkot, we closed in Psalm 118 as Pastor Wade and Pastor Matthew taught us. And they illustrated that the psalm was in reference to the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. We want to go back to that passage and take just a single verse from this writing as we proceed. It's on 118, verse 25. Somebody say there when you're there. Verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Saints, that's not a bad prayer right now as we have just passed up Sukkot and Israel is at war. But notice that is not all that the psalm says. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Sunday you learned that Psalm 118, it is about the fulfillment of Sukkot. Now, as we just pointed it out, did you notice they're not only praying for salvation? They're also praying for success. Saints, that begs the question. Success in what? In what? They're asking for success in making the Lord's house a house built upon the desire to bring every single nation into the kingdom of God, drawing them in by the same great and strange sight that Moses saw originally. Adonai working in a fallen world through things that should be consumed but are not burned up. Saints, what is happening here is we're seeing God display his majesty through imperfect vessels as a perfect God. The original sight that drew Moses was something consumable that was not consumed. And this was indicative of the way that Adonai works in a fallen world. This was symbolized by the menorah kept eternally burning in the tabernacle. But through the development of the family of Israel, the singular menorah became ten so that there would be a great and strange sight for every nation on earth that could see something consumable that was not burned up that would draw them into relationship that Israel had found. So how do we relate to this plan? Do we give money? Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. You know that. Do we send people? Yes. 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 That's, That's what we're raising here. Do we study? Do we pray? Do we prepare? All of those things are great. We're never going to stop doing them. However, today you're going to learn how to become the extraordinary sight that drew the first nation to the Lord. You got that? You're going to learn how to become the extraordinary sight that drew the first nation to the Lord. I want to give you a hint because... You know what it looks like. It's why you first walked through these doors, and it's been your destiny ever since you got here. We happen to have a picture of it. Yeah, you'll be men and women set on fire for the glory of God. The one association was always intended to become a great and strange sight. We're actually full of men that have been drawn to Adonai's workings and fallen humanity. Each of us has been personally transformed by the fire of God that should have consumed us in judgment, but instead lit us ablaze 
with zeal for God. Come on. That holy fire is now developing our family. And our families will join with the holy nation that is a light to the entire world. Somebody say amen. Amen. We actually have a great deal of things to unpack this morning. And we have a very short time together. So we want to review a few things that we know that you already know. And a few that we know that you do not know. We're going to start with the seven feast, the seventh month, and the very aim of God, which is the transformation of every nation on earth. We're going to start with Genesis 10. We have 70 nations from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We have 14 nations from Japheth. We have 30 from Ham. We have 20 from Shem. And you guessed it, Pastor Wade already did the math. That is 70 nations. Every nation on earth came from eight people that got off of the ark. Adonai has always had a plan for every one of the 70 nations that in all reality are just big families. Big families. The plan started with the nation of Israel, and the burning bush event triggered it all. Moses was personally drawn to an event that produced holy fire, but that did not consume the material within. He called it a great and a strange sight. With that in mind, our God is nothing if not a practical teacher. Yeah. He's been teaching his people to count by sevens since the creation story. I mean, it's how the Bible opens up. For the Jewish nation, this was as common and familiar as you counting on your ten fingers and ten toes. We're going to take a look at their heptatic calendar, meaning a calendar based on sevens. So what you see on the screen here, we have a week of days. Meaning every seven days you come, or every six days you come to a seventh day that is Shabbat. But you also have a week of weeks, seven weeks that bring you to Shavuot. Then you have a week of months, meaning the seventh month at the religious year or conclusion of it. The week of years. Every seven years you have a sabbatical year. Then every seven weeks of years you come to something called Jubilee where you have a year of observance. At this time frame of Jubilee, that is the culmination and repeating pattern of this calendar, all land reverts to its original owner. Yeah. All slaves go free. Hallelujah! All debts are forgiven. That's good news! In other words, it's the time of the restoration or restitution of all things. And Acts 3.21 is asking about this kind of process and its ultimate fulfillment. The last few weeks, you guys have been acquainting yourselves with this ability. What do I mean? You've been learning to count by sevens, and you're understanding the plan of God better for it. You know that we are in the year 5784, and that the age of man's work is coming to a close. This morning, we're not going to work back through those things. But again, the fifth day is already over, and the sixth day is coming to a close. Now, the purpose of tabernacles is the salvation of the world that flows from what God did originally in Moses, originally in the family of Israel and the nation of God, that is a light to the world. Saints, they are the beacon of what a strange sight looks like. Tabernacles or Sukkot, it is the seventh feast in the seventh month, and it is a rehearsal for the ultimate aim of God that what began in Israel would reach outward to the nations of the earth. Now, for some of you, that's just like, I don't know, gnats and flies are circulating around you. You're like, um, 
I, I get heptatic is not how we count. But the thing is, God does. Yeah. And he taught his nation to. And his plan is based on sevens. Anybody that's ever read the book of Revelation should come to that conclusion. The pattern of counting by sevens and the significance of the 70 nations, well, it was ingrained into every facet of the Jewish calendar. Every. The Lord did this so that what began in Moses would continue into his family and arrive at a nation that becomes a light to the nations on earth. Think about it this way. Every holiday and every appointed time relates in some way to the desire of God to display himself through his people to a fallen world that God desires to redeem. Okay? Now, that's different than your average church service. Most Christians have no desire to see people they don't know redeemed. I mean, they mostly care about what happens to them. But God set up the Jewish calendar so that every single facet in some way cumulatively speaks a message about God's desire for the salvation of all nations. I want you to consider what is called appointed times. You can read about these in Leviticus 23. There are 52 weekly Sabbaths every single year. Then, during the Feast of Passover, which includes unleavened bread and first fruits, they are happening concurrently, there are seven more special Sabbath days. Then, during the Feast of Shavuot, or weeks, or Pentecost, there is another Sabbath. Then during Yom Teruah, or trumpets, another Sabbath. Then during Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, another Sabbath. Then we come to the days of Sukkot, which we just completed, and there are seven days for the Feast of Tabernacles, plus one special extra day of assembly on the eighth day, which brings the total of all of the appointed days in a calendar year in Israel, reaching exactly 70. In some way, every Sabbath or holy day is a reminder of Adonai's intention. And they have this aim cumulatively. Oh, when yep. the children counted them and when they realized how many they were going through, it was a constant reminder. That's why there's a total of 70 appointed days that are holy days. And that's the same number of holy days as there are nations in the world. The entire idea is that Israel would be being prepared through these holy days to become a great and strange sight that led to the transformation of the nations on earth. Come on. The great and strange sight that Moses saw, it transformed him. That transformation led to the development of his family. The development of his family led to a nation that has become a light to the whole world, and that's why you're reading a book they wrote. Adonai desires every nation on earth to be drawn to his holy fire in his Amen. presence. No, no. Adonai desires every nation on earth to be drawn. Amen. That's why there were 70 burning flames on 10 menorahs in the Solomonic temple. It was a picture of God's desire for the ages. Last week, church, we focused on tabernacles for at least two reasons. The first is that the calendar aids us as a catechism. It is a constant reminder of what the Lord wants us to be focused on. For His those of you that don't know what a catechism is, this would be a religious order of events as a textbook. Something that you do perpetually so that it gets ingrained. In do I not have any ex-Catholics in here? Yeah. Yeah. You should know what a catechism is, even though you didn't do it. 
This is something that was in their holiday schedule. Their calendar is their catechism. He also had to explain that to me. It aids us as a catechism. It's it is a catechism. Is that what you get in your eye, Dad? <laughs> uh, no, son, that's a cataract. You won't worry about that for many years with those beautiful blue eyes. God willing. The reminder of the calendar is for Israel, but it's also for us Gentile Graftons. It re yeah. reminds us to stay in step with the plan of God. Hallelujah. The second reason, though, is that we feel the need, the urge, the, the unction from our Father to remind you of the purpose of your salvation. Namely, the salvation of all the nations. This is why this church was formed. It's why you were born again, and it's why we formed the One Association. We want to join with Israel in Psalm 118, not only praying for our salvation, but mighty God grant us success in completing the plan of God. There's no reason to teach you things that you already know. However, we have a quick visual reminder because it seems like a good thing to do as long as we are still in the tent of this body. And yeah. it is no problem for us to remind you of these things again. See how we speak in faith? <laughs> these are the sacrifices on Sukkot, tabernacles, or what is sometimes called the Feast of Booths. On our first day, we've got 13 bulls. On second day, we have 12 bulls. On the third day, we have 11 bulls. That's a lot of bulls. On the fourth day, we have 10 bulls. On the fifth day, nine bulls. Sixth day, eight bulls. Seventh day, seven bulls. The total for the seven days of sacrifice was? 70. 70 bulls. You mean one for every nation? One for every nation. Let's talk about the uniqueness of tabernacles for just a minute. The trumpet has already been blown. Yeah. Israel has already been atoned for. Yeah. yeah. This is the seventh feast. Yes. Occurring in the seventh month. Yes. It concludes on the 70th appointed day. Yeah. Tabernacles foreshadows the final actions before the seventh thousand year day of Sabbath begins for the whole world. Thanks. When you're looking at that slide. Over the years, we've heard terms that didn't have significance to us because of cultural differences. But we're learning to engage with the Bible as it was meant to be understood. With that in mind, you know that the average nominal setting, it has little or no meaning to look at a slide like this. Few people in those settings have been transformed themselves. And the result is that in our average Christian setting, they care very little for the transformation of others much less the nations beyond their own. In those settings, our faith as a whole has become selfish, self-centered, and sinfully ineffective. However, in this room... In this room! Somebody say, in this room! In this room! In this room! You came here because you were drawn to a great and strange sight, just like Moses was. You were transformed by the holy fire of God, and it revolutionized everything about your life. Saints, you've taken that supernatural fire and you are developing your family in the same transformation and purpose that Adonai gave you. Can I tell you this morning that the One Association is going to join with the holy nation of God and that we will see every nation on earth drawn to a consumable, flawed group of men who are not burned up. Yes! 
Thanks, the holy fire of God will display his awesome transforming work inside of us as we stand in the midst of a fallen world as men on fire for the world to see. Look, the catechism of the calendar, it is just a reminder of how short the time is to complete this purpose that we were transformed for. Thanks, I have to tell you, I've been in this church since its very inception. I was here when every one of you were drawn to a great and strange sight. I mean, let's be real. Elijah, how many places did you walk in that were totally normal and much more comfortable than having somebody use your name in a Sunday service? You didn't show up here because the donuts were amazing. You didn't show up here because of the beautiful arrangement of a warehouse. You came here because you saw something that was unique, something that had real fire. Saints, as one of your brothers and as your pastors, I want to affirm that that strange and great sight, well, that was not just at your initial salvation. I've watched what you have become in this house. Your lamps and lights that are burning ever brighter than you have before. And this last year has been as much progress in the lives as we have ever seen. But even more than that, I can tell you by faith, I can see what I cannot see yet with my eyes. This house will become a great and strange sight that hear me will burn brightly throughout the nations of the earth, and he will do it through your number. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. When we're considering this, up to this point at 33 minutes, are you ready to hear what has really been on our minds this whole time? I mean, what we intended to preach on aside from the slides? Look, we've been blessed by a pastoral staff. I want to say personally on recording, I was blessed by last Sunday's message. That's because these men in and of themselves are great and strange sights. (laughs) Things that should be consumed, but they're not. (laughs) With that in mind, they have been working to develop us as a corporate family. Because we are not an institution, we are a family and there are fathers in the house into our greater purpose among the world as bright shining lamps, we will join with the holy nation and become a light to the world in the midst of the fire that is being unveiled on the earth right now. You remember from last Sunday that you learned about the setting for John 8, 12, which said, I am the light of the world, Messiah speaking. What we're going to do today is show you a slide from the Jewish New Testament commentary written by David Stern that struck a deep chord within our souls. I mean, it began to stir something inside of us. It caused us to spend time digging into it and experience a transformation. Well, we're going to spend the rest of our time today exploring the implications of what you are about to see. Again, the slide we're about to show you is the cultural commentary on the setting for John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This comes from David Stern. His remark, meaning Jesus' remark, was specifically suited to the Feast of Sukkot. For according to the mission at the temple, there were four golden menorahs with four golden bowls at the top of each and four ladders, each according to a bowl. Four strong young koinim would climb up with pitchers, each holding nine liters of oil. By the way, this setting is not the ten menorahs inside the temple. These are four set out in the courtyard for the whole world to see. 
It's almost as if that strange burning sight was the whole point. Nine liters of oil with which they would pour into the bowls from the worn out, love this, drawers. Honey, pick up your drawers off the floor. Get your undies. Your boxers. I better stop here. We'll be brief. <laughs> the worn out drawers and girdles of the Kohanim, they made wicks. Wow. From the worn out drawers and girdles of the Kohanim, they made wicks. And with them lit the menorahs. And there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up by the light of the festivities. By the way, the GMR on the passage says the menorahs were 75 feet tall. That's tall. So what was it that formed the wicks that lit and maintained the fire of God's menorahs? Okay, let's settle on a way to answer this. With so many words for undergarments, let's just say the answer is worn out garments of the priest. Is that fair enough? Yeah. That way when your grandma listens to this message to see what kind of cult you're going to, she doesn't think it's just about underwear. There's a beautiful and life-giving principle in the cultural setting of John 8:12. Come on. To best understand the revelation being conveyed, I, I want to share with you the definition for wick. Our topic is worn out inner priestly garments, but you see here a wick, uh, uh, just Googled today, a strip of porous material up which liquid fuel is drawn by capillary action to the flame in the candle lamp or lighter. Okay, I can see it's not getting to you yet. It will. Brothers and sisters, the great and strange sight that is Adonai working among the fallen world is that when men give their very best efforts towards his service, knowing that those efforts are wholly insufficient, worn out, these efforts act as a wick drawing the holy oil and fire of God that will make them sufficient. Come on. The great and strange sight is not just a perfect God interacting with an imperfect world. It is that, but not just that. The great and strange sight is that he uses worn out and consumable men that are not consumed because he has become their holy fire. Amen. Think through John 6:44 as we do this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It turns out that the Father is drawn to men who offer their worn-out priestly garments to him. He then draws those kinds of men to the fiery personage Amen. of Jesus Christ himself. Thirty years ago, I offered my own worn-out garments to him with the words, Lord, change me. Then he drew the substance of his word through every fiber of my being by way of the anointing of his Holy Spirit. So when you think of a candle, think of a man standing on the word of God. That's The word of God is like the wax that becomes the fuel. And as we start to offer our worn out garments to him, this is that 500 degree Fahrenheit flame that is causing the word of God to move from solid to liquid to a gas 
that is being pulled right through every fiber of your worn out being and ignited by Jesus Christ himself. In this way, the wick does not burn. The fuel is the Holy Spirit of God as the word of God. I began to be set ablaze by that fiery personage of Jesus Christ. This worked through every member of my family and the family that I was building at the time. This worked through the establishment of this church and the One Association. What started in a teenager's bedroom has now become a great and strange sight that is going to draw every nation on earth back to the glory of our Father. It's really neat for me to stand here today knowing it's the last service that I will have my family intact in this church where we started. It's beautiful. It's all we've ever aimed for. We're going to get all of the salt outside the shaker. And yet it is a sentimental and beautiful moment for me. Abby becomes a Ledesma. Judah and his brothers become residents in the Balkans. You know, it would be Gabe and Cody holding down the fort till Cody goes to Jerusalem. You people are stuck with me. I was here when you guys were first drawn through these doors and you saw a fat, bearded, country bumpkin as an imperfect vessel being used perfectly by God. And you were drawn to it. What happened? Why would that guy preach like that to four people in a garage and three of them are asleep? Because I had encountered the living God. It was a strange sight. I am presently witnessing this body offer their own imperfect service to God. But I can see his holy fire meeting your willingness and transparency. Those things are acting like a wick that draw the holy oil of God's anointing right through every fiber of your being and member of your family so that you will burn for Jesus Christ. I want you to know with confidence that I know exactly what you will become because I was here when you got here, and I know why God brought you here. You will become a great and strange sight that draws the nations of the world to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. There is no other option, and your worn-out garments don't stop you. They actually become the medium with which God draws his spirit through to set you ablaze. Let's consider a small sampling of the number of times we are told to make every effort. Now, I'm going to ask y'all a question, and y'all are going to respond. This is how we're going to do this. Luke 13, 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Can you enter through the narrow door on your own efforts? No! no. Romans 14, 19. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Without the power of your God on your effort alone, can you make peace and have mutual edification? No! <laughs> Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Without the Holy Spirit, are your efforts enough to keep the unity of the Spirit? No! Hebrews 4.11, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the, their example of disobedience. This one's a bit assumed. 
But on your own efforts, can you enter into the rest of the kingdom of God? No. no. Second Peter 1.5. No, Hebrews 12.14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You guys can barely do that with the Holy Spirit. Second <laughs> Peter 1.5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. On your own efforts, without the ability given from God and the word that he gave you, can you add to your own knowledge goodness? No. Second Peter 1.10. Therefore, my brothers... Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Never. On your own efforts, are you able to never stumble? No. Second no. Peter 1, 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Who forgot their keys this week? Yeah. So on your own efforts, are you always going to be able to remember the teachings? No! What is the title of the slide? Make every effort. They're not sufficient. He will make them sufficient. Last one, 2 Peter 3. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Can we do it with our own effort? No. The truth is, church, your priestly service will always come up short in representing a perfect God. But the act of your wholehearted engagement with the process is something like a wick drawing up the holy oil of God and burning into a divine plane that is to empower you to represent him in every way. The point is not your perfect representation, but rather... Your trust that Adonai will work through you in the fallen world around you. Come on. He draws men to himself that are imperfect, and he is able to work through them perfectly. Amen. This is the great and strange sight. It's great and it's strange. Yes. It is something that causes men to turn aside. Think about how you got here. You met someone that there was just something different about them. Yeah, you were battling with the black Hebrew Israelites at Whataburger at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you realized you had no idea what you were talking about. And then a transplant from Columbia showed up with his Bible in his hand in this church. And he helped you out. You were like, where do you go to church? You saw a great and strange sight that drew you. And they were always imperfect men that God was working perfectly through. This is the great and strange sight. The sight is not visible if people cannot see that you are ordinary, consumable, fallible, and a flawed person. Wow. It doesn't work if uh, they well, cannot see that. Say it one more time because I've been <laughs> acting a fool today and, you know, I don't want to distract from that point. In other words, I'm ordinary, flawed, <laughs> consumable. Watch me burn. The great and strange sight does not work, church, if you cannot see that it's a bush. If you cannot see that you, they cannot see that you are an ordinary, flawed person, then there would be nothing strange and great about it. It is a requirement that the wick be the worn-out garments. 
it is the imperfect being on fire, but yet not consumed, that is the great and strange sight that brought all of us to him in the first place. Adonai burns brightly through you, despite your weakness. The supernatural sign is Come that on, you... Come on, no, no, no. That's good news. Aren't, aren't you glad, Charlie? Aren't you glad, Boz? John, aren't you glad that we don't lead people through the pretense of our perfection? That what actually happens is when we rip open our veil and show people that we're ordinary, porous, flawed material... But when you stand on the word, on. your life acts like a wick yeah. that draws the holiness of God out of that word through every fiber of your being. And Jesus Christ shines brightly through you anyway. Well, now it's my turn to talk about this. And I'm going to make my way off the stage for it. So I was literally conceived at the same time that this church was being spoken to into my father's heart. Wow, Jen, you told him about that. (laughs) Clarity. I literally learned to walk as the foundations of this church were being laid. You want to know where we are as a body in our maturity? I am a physical representation of how old this church is. There is no part of this that I haven't been here for. I was here when you all got here. I have seen the way of life that you have lived. You have watched me grow up. We have done this together as a family, as a great and strange sight. And I can say we are growing better and stronger than we have ever been. Yeah! You are currently a great and strange sight. And we have absolutely no doubt, no qualm, no concern of any kind about what a great and strange sight you will be to the nations for all time. This is our family. This is our house. And there is no other way than the way that has been laid. But it's been good enough for us in the past, and it will be more than good enough for us in the future. This is what we do. Saints, we started out this message with a display from the life of Moses. You remember that Moses was out shepherding sheep far from the palace in the greatest moment of weakness he had experienced up to that point. And he saw something like a bush that was weak and frail, but it was on fire and not consumed. You remember that Moses took this transformative experience and he then developed the family of Israel who saw the fire of God in Exodus 19. The goal was that the nation would become a great and strange sight to the entire world. Yeah. Drawing all nations to Adonai's working among those fallen nations. What we're going to do now is we're going to press forward. We're going to press forward in our message and in time to the second temple's construction. This is the time of the governor Zerubbabel from Judah, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, Haggai and Zechariah, the prophet, when these men were working together as a team in the wake of utter destruction around 500 B.C. You need to know, some of you have been in church enough where you just kind of lose the reality of a passage because you've heard it before. This time period formed one of the greatest and strangest sights in national Israel's history. I'm going to tell you why. It's because national Israel had already experienced the fires of Babylonian judgment. To the eyes of the entire world, Israel was already consumed. Had no hope. The bush was destroyed. There is nothing left. However, in Adonai's sovereignty, he had 
indeed preserved a few. He had preserved a few in the wake of judgment that came on the earth who would make every effort to see Adonai's purposes fulfilled, to see a house of prayer raised back up, to stand in the land. They were indeed men who should have been consumed, but were in fact not consumed. Come on. We're going to pick up in Zechariah 3 and see how Adonai describes these men. Zechariah 3.1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Oh, saints, you got to understand something about this passage. The man, Joshua, the family of the nation, all are represented here. This is not just about an individual. This is about what the individual represents. Adonai is addressing him as the high priest and Jerusalem that he has chosen. But you got to understand that each are insufficient for the task. Yep. Jerusalem is in rubble. Joshua, well, he's consumable. He's fallible. He is flawed. However, he's sitting here in the land because his desire, his wholehearted efforts are being put forward to be used by Adonai. Look, our God works in a fallen world through fallible men. And he does it because when we are wholly dependent on him and we say, I want to do your will even though I'm insufficient, it acts like a wick. All of a sudden, the oil and fire of God begin to draw onto you. And it's not you that is burning. It's his fire all around you. See, Joshua and the rest of his team in this scenario, they are vessels plucked from the consuming fires of judgment that did burn many up. But it did not burn them up because they depended on their God. Saints, this was a holy, a great, and a strange sight. And it is the demonstration of Adonai working perfectly through imperfect men. Are you a fool already? No. This is LCM. This is not the home of the 40-minute sermon. As you continue to engage with Zechariah 3 in the great and strange sight that's happening. You know, in this passage, we don't even know it's a courtroom setting, but we don't even know what Satan said. You notice that? His words are not recorded. I have an idea. You have to go to a forum on Reddit and read that to see what kind of thing Satan would say. But if experience serves us for insight, then much of what Satan said probably had hints of truth in it, although it was mixed with lies. In this courtroom setting, you would have, you would have expected Joshua to be found unworthy and guilty. He did pause way too long in the building campaign. He did many things that were representative of worn-out garments. Mm -hmm. However, the great and strange sight is that Joshua is not consumed in judgment. Rather, he is a sign of a man plucked from judgment. Joshua, the family, and the nation are becoming a burning and fiery light to the nations. And it drew all of Israel back into unity with God in Israel represents God's working in a fallen world. Y'all following that so far? Yes. 
just as Moses had real inadequacy in representing God, and yet represented him anyway, trusting Adonai to work perfectly through Moses' own worn-out garments. So too, Joshua, the high priest, and Jerusalem have real and profound inadequacies. However, like Moses, from this moment forward, Joshua gives his very best effort, trusting that Adonai will shine through him and brightly turn him into a wick, taking his worn-out garments and doing something extraordinary with them. What happens next in this story is usually related to an initial salvation experience. That's an absurd idea. Wrong. It's not an initial salvation experience. This high priest did not just get saved. Okay? The events represented, the events that represent the great and strange sight of Adonai's ability to burn brightly through imperfect vessels, they're not a time, one-time action. No. It's actually that our God is constantly renewing his servant. Not just in salvation, but every time the worn-out garments are presented. That's far more beautiful than some kind of whorish transaction that preachers have turned this into. I want to pick up in verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. That's worse than just worn out garments. Not just worn out, it's filthy. They're gross. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Amen. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. That's good news. Joshua, just like the previous temple complex, Jerusalem and the nation, had been in the service of Adonai for many, many years at this point. His best efforts had been no better than filthy rags. And yet, the eternal and majestic fire of God burned strangely bright through that kind of acknowledgement. So that Joshua's garments are even renewed in the process. That's kind of beautiful, isn't it? Joshua stood before the heavenly council. Joshua's garments were worn out and filthy. Joshua faced his accuser like a man. Joshua was transparent and faced his own inability before the entire world and all of the heavenly realms. Joshua was found to be unable to adequately represent God. Then Joshua was given the renewal as a great and a strange sight. This is the kind of thing that will act as a light to the entire world. This is the light and the holy fire of God that draws all men to him. Have you guys, uh, you're getting sleepy? You want to pay attention to this next part. Because we have anticipated your objections. Notice, dear saints, that Joshua did not throw up his hands in defeat during the set courtroom settings. Me, I don't know nothing. Why? Why even try if I am so hopelessly flawed? If my best efforts aren't good enough anyway, why even try? You sound like a millennial. <laughs> Thanks. Engage with us for a moment. You are commanded to make every effort. Amen. Over and over again, we showed you a slide with a small sampling. And yet you're commanded to do it while you know your efforts are not enough. My God, Judah, that sounds like faith. That you would have to act 
knowing that your efforts are insufficient. And trust him. And trust that he will make them sufficient. The church world is falling into two problems. One that acts like their works are sufficient through sacraments. And others that act like works are not a part of faith at all. This house. This will offer our very best, knowing it's not good enough, but that God will make it good enough. He didn't throw up his hands and say, why even try? He had to trust his God. Yes. What is even more than that is that this is the way that God chose to display himself. Rather than to consider yourself something that is unworthy and dirty and you are used in spite of yourself, God actually picked you because you were flawed. He actually picks the flawed and consumable things because then he gets the glory for why it is not consumed. This sign is, Joshua is a sign and symbol of who we all are and what our generations will be for all time. Burning sticks that are not burned up. Those that face their accuser with their filthy garments and their God uses them anyways. This is the sign and symbol. You must continually acknowledge and even display your worn-out garments. The Lord of glory will use them as merciful fuel. He will make you into a light to draw Whoa, men to you. He will use you. them as what, son? Merciful, merciful fuel. Somebody say merciful fuel. Merciful fuel. He wants to have mercy on you. He wants you to present your very best to him knowing that it is wretchedly flawed because he desires to have mercy on you. This is what makes you the light in the darkness. This is how you draw men to you. You want to know why people have gathered around here? Well, it's not because we're that pretty. We're on fire and yet we are not burned and in a dark- Grandma on the front row is pretty. I'm pretty fond of mine on here too, but as for us- Yes, it's not because we're pretty. On that, we're all agreed. (laughs) We are the light in the darkness. Let's move into verse 5. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. Come on, saints. This is the voice of God. He sees the filthy garments and he says, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. What? Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Did you hear what the Lord said to Joshua? The angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. He made it an oath. What was the assurance based on? His perfect performance? No. Was it? Forgive me. No, (laughs) the assurance was based off of the goodness of our God. Our God is displaying his perfection in those that are willing to make every effort on his behalf. We do this knowing our best is not quite enough. But he will take our best and make it good enough. We know that our best is not good enough, but it's all we have to offer and he will make it good enough. Says, what else did the angel of the Lord say to Joshua? He didn't just solemnly swear. He reminded him of something. He said, I will give you the right 
of access Come on. among those who are standing here. Yeah. Thanks, where is he standing? He's standing in the very presence of God. You realize that you have been given the right of access to God's holy fire, yes. to his presence. Yes. It's not an if, it's not a maybe. He gave you the right in Hebrews 10 that said so. His voice is still calling out as it did to Moses in the initial burning bush event. He's calling out to you even now saying, come and see this great sight because I will make you into one that will draw the nations back to me. Thanks, this is only done when we give our very best efforts continually. Those efforts must be given even though they are insufficient because they act like a wick for the holy oil of God. They cause his fire to burn. They cause you to radiate light and yet not be consumed. Look how we're this continual effort, this acknowledgement of the truth. When you combine these two things, you can know with certainty that you will be like the original design. You will be that original sign that drew all around you. It's important for you to remind yourself you have access constantly to renewal before the throne of God. The place that Joshua was granted access to, a way has been made for you, and he will renew you, cleanse you, and cause you to burn again and again. Saints, can we tell you that this is what faith actually looks like? Yeah. Look, I'm not going to retread denominational differences because they're wrong and it's not worth iterating. But your faith is action and trust combined that your God will move through you. Adonai started to draw Israel back to himself through the transformation of Moses. What is Moses? He's one man. Moses yeah. then developed the family of Israel, all descendants of Jacob, one family line in this process. Then guess what? The nation itself, it will become a great and strange sight that is the light of the world, drawing all nations back to Adonai, just as Sukkot forecast. None of this is accomplished with half-hearted efforts, though. We have to enter into the battle giving all that we have, and we also know that it will not be enough. You don't possess perfect efforts to give to him. All you possess is all that you have. But when you give him all that you have, he will work through it perfectly. Look, the purpose of God is achieved by the surrender of worn-out garments that act as a wick, but you must willingly bring them forward into his presence as Joshua did. Not hiding, not retreating, not looking to cover, coming into his presence so that his oil and his fire can renew you and set you ablaze for those in fallen humanity who need to see the signal of your life. Think about the hope that it offers fallen humanity to see that you are as ordinary as they are. Yes. And yet God is able to work through you in supernatural ways. This is what's wrong with you feeling like you ruined your testimony because you made a mistake. Your testimony is that although you make mistakes, you're still being perfected. Look, as we prepare to move to another text, understand this whole scene with Joshua is contrary to every natural expectation. We're not going to have time at an hour and six minutes to go through it, but Joshua's grandfather, Sariah, was executed by the Babylonians in 2 Kings 25. Joshua's father had been carried into exile in 1 Chronicles 6, 14. Jerusalem itself had been burned and the priesthood had been rebuked. And yet, and yet Adonai considered the city and the man a burning stick snatched from the fire to display his merciful workings 
among fallen men. What was required of Joshua was to expose, display, and exchange his worn-out garments for new ones continually. It was not a one-time act. He had been a priest for many years at this point. This is not an excuse to have worn-out, filthy garments. It is a faith-filled acknowledgement that they can be used like a wick to draw the holy oil and fire of God into you that renews and transforms you continually. This really will make you a great and strange sight that draws the nations back to Adonai. Y'all have time for four appropriate questions? Let's go through these together. Have you given your very best efforts in the service of Adonai? I want you to think through that. Very best efforts. Not just what you thought might be sufficient. Not just, you know, a reasonable distance in the eyes of your peers. Have you given the maximal amount of your effort that you are capable of contributing to his service and his cause. If you excuse yourself too lightly from that question, you're a fool. But you're not fools. You're sons of God, and his spirit will speak to you about this. Have you become faithless about the renewal process, choosing to hide your dirty garments rather than make them fuel for the display of God's great and strange sight? Friends, that'll put out your fire. Have you forgotten that you have been given the right, oh my God, the right of access to renewal in his presence? Have you settled for a purpose that is something less than becoming the light of the world that draws all nations back to him? Whatever your mezuzah is, whatever you think it is, it falls underneath the great mezuzah, which is we are to be the light of the world. Yes. Have you settled for something less than that? I just go to work. I do my job. You know, I come home. I give her the paycheck and the food's right there. And we hope to raise our little ones. Church, we ask you these questions because the truth is we already know the answer for many of you. The point is not to convince you of your failings this morning. The spirit will take care of that. But instead, we want to remind you what you can do with those failings. Each of you are going to rise in faith to give your very best efforts in the service of Adonai. Hallelujah! Yes, each of you are going to rise in faith to display your worn-out garments so they can be renewed before His throne. Each of you are going to rise in faith so that you acknowledge and walk in the access to the very presence of God where daily renewal occurs. Come on. Each of you are going to rise in faith that your very best but still flawed efforts will become a wick that draws the holy anointing and fire of God into your life. Hallelujah! You're going to become a great and strange sight that draws the nations back to the Father. Somebody say yes! yes! Church, the reason that we can speak so confidently about these things to you is we already know what you are and what you are becoming. You are succeeding in becoming the light of God now. This fellowship was founded on the transformation of a single life in the holy fire of our God. Then that one life is used to develop an entire family into the burning flame 
And then that family takes on the nations. The one life is transformed. The family is transformed. Then the nation is transformed. The result is that all the nations will see the great and strange sight of our God. We will become the light of the world that draws all the nations to Adonai. And I'd wager we're doing it now. Yes. Let's I'm read. seeing it start to kindle in a few of them. We're going to put pressure on the rest of you, though. We're going to hit John 8, 12 here and make some acknowledgments. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We acknowledge that Jesus never at any time, way, shape, or form, no matter what they put online, had filthy garments. Can y'all get that? <clears throat> Jesus was never filthy. He was perfect. However, the gospel displays him with worn out garments many times. Not filthy garments, but worn out garments. As a human being, Jesus got tired. Yeah. He got hungry. He even found it difficult to do his father's will. We can see that he quickly reached the limits of his natural man in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. He's at the end of what his body can do. But he offered those worn out garments and they acted like a wick, drawing holy help from on high so that he burned brightly as the son of God for the salvation of the world. Luke twenty two forty three 43 records that an angel came and strengthened him. The point is... Think about that for a moment. You don't like the idea of wrestling with the concept that Jesus had worn out garments. But if he was physically enough in and of himself... Why did an angel have to come down and strengthen him so that he could endure the cross? I don't know whether you've seen this party trick because you're good Christians and you don't go to parties. <laughs> but when a candle has been burning brightly for a little while, you can put that thing out, raise a lighter four or five inches above it, and it lights without that flame touching the wick. Do you know why? Because when you've been burning brightly long enough and it's been worn out, the gases are still escaping from the wax and rising above the flame. And an ignition from the heavens will light it right back on fire. Jesus was not filthy. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was worn out. And an angel touched him. And he found all the strength that he needed again. Come on. The point is that worn out garments don't always have to do with sin. Nope. It also has to do with your natural limitations of your human nature. The great and strange sight is that the weakness of your human nature, when offered to the Lord, becomes a wick drawing on the divine nature from our God that transforms you into the blazing menorah that symbolizes our God working amongst fallen men. Look, while we're talking about worn out garments, we're going to get very real. Some of you are going to be moved to do things like sell your houses because you're going to want to fund the work of the gospel that you're a part of. Some of you will sell cars to fund the expansion of the great and strange sight that goes into all the nations. Some of you will do something even harder. You'll sell your guns to be able to participate in the greatest expansion in history. I applaud all of those efforts. They must be done. I'm joining you in them. I started way ahead of you, like three decades ahead of you. However, how could that be enough? considering what Adonai has done for you. Like, we'll celebrate it. Like, oh, he gave up a house. That's amazing. It's only amazing because most of you don't plan on doing it, and he did. 
when you consider that you were destined for hell and he plucked you from the fire, is giving up a house, car, or gun worth comparing to that? No. When you consider that he's given you participation in his spirit of holiness, is selling earthly possessions worth comparing with that? When you consider that he's made you his ambassador and put you in this community which serves as an ambassador, what sacrifice could you possibly make that would be worth comparing to the kindness he's already shown you? Friends, let's get real. When you consider the enormity of the task before us, your very best efforts are worn out priestly garments. We're not going to pretend like they're not. You can't buy favor with God. You can't do it. But in offering your very best, even if they're insufficient, worn-out garments, they are expressions of you making every effort so that the holy oil of God's anointing will move through you like oil through a wick. They will result in the fire of God burning brightly in your lives. Do y'all remember the message, Faith, to to go to zero? And you're still here. Are your lives better for it? Nobody ever regrets a great and daring act of faith, even if it is insufficient. God makes it sufficient. The result for this church is that we're going to burn brightly in the supernatural workings of God. And that in and of itself will draw men into the work that we're doing. They will want, like Moses, to learn how to walk in those things. None of us could ever give enough. But making every effort that we're able to make, and I don't mean able to make in your own estimation, I mean able to make for the glory and privilege that God has put you in the kingdom, Adonai will make it enough. Amen. That's the whole idea behind the widow's two mites. Yes. It's not insignificant. Because it's all she has. Okay? If you give your all, if you give your best effort, it's not enough. In some cases, it's like spitting in the ocean. When you want to reach this area over the next century, then I promise your retirement's not enough. But it's what you have to offer, and God will make it enough. Church, I want to help us here some with our attitude. It's never going to be enough. It's not for the house. It's not with our efforts. But we're going to try. I could never do enough, but I'm going to find out if I can. If you work as hard as you possibly can into filling that void, then your God will always multiply it. How do you keep the attitude? I don't know if I'll ever repay that debt, but I'm going to spend every minute that I can trying. This is the attitude. Saints, we serve the God who asks what you have, not what you don't have. He takes barley and a couple fish and works through it supernaturally. But the boy doesn't get to not offer what he has. And what was it like for somebody else standing there that had more and offered less? Saints, in every area of our lives, we're going to learn to overextend ourselves. We're going to learn to sacrifice until it hurts to build the kingdom of God, to build our brothers. Because he will work through us like a bush that should be consumed, but is not. Look, you have already heard John 8. John 8 was in Sunday service. It was in Thursday service. And you heard a tidbit out of Matthew 5 where Jesus said something profound. But it's too good for us to not circle back to and engage with in light of what you now know this morning. 
This is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. Wait, who is? You are. It's not just the Christ. It is the body of Christ on earth that is the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hey, what do they see? Whose good works? Wow. You see how the light gives light to the entire family? This family in this house, we are one of many in the one association that are multiplying and rising. We are the light of the world. Jesus' example showed making every sacrifice. I mean, literally what it looks like to give every effort to burn brighter even brighter than those 75-foot-tall menorahs at the temple. He was burning as the Son of God because he left nothing on the table, and God worked through him. Saints, when the text says that we are to let our light shine before others as a great and strange sight, you need to understand that we are Christ on the earth, his collective body filled with the Spirit of Christ. text says that they will see our good works. Who is the they? The they is the nations surrounding us that are waiting for light to shine into their dark situations. This will cause men to glorify Adonai, who works among fallen, flawed vessels, but have the holy fire of God and have not been burned up. That is who you are, a sign. As I see it, there are two enormous impediments to us. Saints, this is all well and good. You know you're the light of the world, but why is it? Do we choose not to be the light of the world? What is the basket or the bowl in our lives? There are two. The first is if you cower in inadequacy and do not attempt the good deeds, or in other words, make the every effort that your father requires of you because you're certain you're going to fail. Thanks, that was always the point, that you don't have enough. We are not going to shrink back. Somebody say, I won't. I won't. Shrink back. Shrink back. Saints, we're way past the days of hiding in concern that we are insufficient. You were never sufficient. But when you offer it up to your God, his holy anointing oil will burn through you and you will become sufficient. Somebody say the second obstacle. Second obstacle. If you hide the process of submitting your filthy or even the worn out garments. Saints, there is no burning menorah without a wick that has been offered up high in the air that says, hey, I've got these filthy garments, or hey, I did all that I knew how to do, but my garments are worn out. Saints, if there was fire in the distance, it would be no special sight. If there was fire that was consuming something normally, it would be no special sight. What was a great and a strange sight was something that should not be able to withstand the fire of God and yet was not consumed. Your witness to the world around you is by offering up your inadequacy and watching God cause you burn. Whether we're talking about the difficulty of faith-filled deeds that can wear a man's garments out, or we're talking about the difficulty of personal transformation that you need from sin, 
This whole process was meant to be visible to the whole world. It was meant for you to be the light on the top of the city. It was meant to be a great and strange sight that captured the attention of fallen or backslidden men passing by who wanted to see what was at work inside of you. With that in mind, the strange sight is a consumable, flawed people who are not consumed in the fire of God. Your actions are meant to glorify the Father and to cause others to glorify the Father because you are a great and strange sight that offers hope to the nations of the world who are flawed themselves. Adonai is calling them, the nations, he is calling them to take their insufficient efforts and come to him so that he can make them sufficient acts of faith, drawing that holy oil so that he can transform them and make them into other lights. But where will they see it, church? They must see it in you. We could discuss hundreds of passages and applications on this subject. But my sense is that we might need to start coming to a conclusion. Yeah, we, we might need to do that. For your convenience, we put no seating next to windows. Because this needs... <laughs> we have a growing number of menorahs in the back of the room. This needs to be more than a time of contemplation. We have reached the hour and the time for our action. Let's go to Revelation 1, starting in verse 10. Yeah, somebody say that. Great, great. and strange sight. And strange sight. It's not a great and strange sight if they never see that you have a problem. And it's never a great and strange sight if they only see that you have problems. They need to see that you have worn out garments and yet... The fiery flame of God burns through you. It was a strange, Spencer. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, <clears throat> to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, Come on. clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The profound truth that is revealed here in this section of Revelation is that Jesus is in the presence of the lampstands. My family, he is here in our midst now. That is an awe-inspiring thought. But it is also a sobering one. Yep. For him to be standing in this room. Is awe-inspiring, but it is also sobering. Think through that. Think about the things that Jesus said after examining his first-century churches. And we're so he's standing in the midst of seven churches, according to the book of Revelation. He is standing in the midst of churches that he calls lampstands. Now listen to what he says to them. We're going to keep, catch these at a pace. But in Ephesus, he reminds them that he is aware of their work, 
And then he tells them what they need to do to continue to be a lampstand and a menorah. In Smyrna, he tells them that in difficult circumstances, they need to be faithful unto death so that they can obtain the crown of life. In Pergamum, he tells them to correct false doctrine and practice within the church and that they must become conquerors to enjoy God's hidden manna of provision. In Thyatira, he tells them that he will eliminate from his church that which does not belong. He reminds them that he searches mind and heart and will give you according to what you have done. In Sardis, he tells them, I know your works. They don't match your reputation. Wow. He says their deeds are incomplete and that they must wake up and strengthen what remains so that their garments can be renewed. In Philadelphia, he says, I know your works and that you have very little power, but you have kept my word, so you must hold fast, and I will make you a permanent fixture in the city of God. In Laodicea, he says, I know your works, and you don't know your true condition. I want to renew your garments so that you can sit on my throne. Our king has never failed to instruct his churches about what they must do to burn as a great and a strange sight that will draw all of the nations to his kingdom. He confronts their deeds and exhorts them to show faith by offering their worn-out garments before him. Come on. The goal of the instruction is to, for them to make every effort in faith, trusting that they will be like wicks, drawing on the oil of the Spirit-empowered actions that display God's holy light. Amen. None of them were perfect. But they persevered and became perfected. This is the hope of the nations. If these letters had been addressed to you, to you, your God standing in this midst, what actions would Jesus speak to you about how to be a burning menorah and the light of the world? That's sobering, isn't it? We like to take encouraging parts of the Bible and say, that's for me. And the parts that challenge us to do radically different things than we're doing, we like to assume were for someone else at some other time. My family served this community and will continue to serve this community until the end of the 6,000th year of man's work. But the truth is, is that we're being spread out among the other lampstands. And we will be establishing more new lampstands. This message was not aimed at your failings. This is an exhortation to you because the Stevens know what you are and what you are to become. You're the very reason that we started this whole process. And we're living in a dream coming true. You will burn brightly. You will be the light of the world, and you will not be consumed. I want to speak to those of you who are weak in your faith. And if that ticks you off, then it shows how weak you are in your faith. You've been propped up by the heroic faith of others, and that is God's kindness to you. Now is the hour of your heroic faith. You can and you will succeed 
the men that you look up to now, I remember when they were in worse shape than you're in. Our God is drawn to the surrender of those worn out garments and he will burn brighter through you than you could imagine if you offer all of yourself. And I don't mean in some weird mystical way. I mean it in every possible way. Materially, effort, sleep, work, everything. My word for you comes from Isaiah 42. My word for the weak in faith in here who have relied on the heroic faith of those before you. It's been a gift to you, and I'm glad it's there. But now is your hour. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice Come to the on. nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. If you are a faintly burning wick in this house, if you are filled with the Spirit and you have some measure of faith, but you yourself know that you've never really dared to push as far as others in this room. And now you know that as far as they pushed was not nearly far enough. I'm saying to you, he doesn't want to quench you out. He's not saying you're not good enough. He's saying, give me all of what you are. And although you were not enough, I will transform you and make you into enough. Ask me how I know that. This is the hour of transformation. He is going to faithfully bring forth justice. There does not have to be a second class and third class of Christians. There is one kind of Christian, a great and strange sight that the power and fire of Adonai burns even in their imperfection. And men are drawn to it. Justice demands something of you. That you begin to do for others what has been done for you. That is justice. We're going to close on our feet with two slides together. Thanks, not only is this not the kind of message where we want you to come and weep. It's not what the Spirit of God is doing inside of this room. We're going to go over four items from this message together. And we are going to stand as an oath to begin this process. Sound booth, put that slide up. Saints, you heard four questions earlier. But what we're going to do now is resolve ourselves to answer those questions in this manner. So I want you to read this along with me, starting with the first. I will give my very best efforts in the service of Adonai from this point forward. Thanks. What has happened in yesteryear no longer matters. You need to learn to strain and look towards what is ahead and stop mourning the past. Today, we give him our very best effort. Number two, 
I will express faith in action by engaging in the daily renewal process. I will reveal my worn-out priestly garments. This action becomes fuel for the display of God's great and strange sight. He is drawn to my desire to overcome in His name. That is who you are, church. Don't you believe any other satanic lie? You are those whom He is drawn to and will transform. Our third together. I will display actions that show my daily confidence that I have been given the right of access to the renewal of His presence. As we worship here in just a few minutes, you worship like sons of the living God who have been given the right of access to His presence. If you need renewal, He'll give it to you you on your feet and your arms lifted up like a son reaching up to a father whom He loves and He knows because He gave you the right of access. Are y'all ready for number four? My purpose is to become the light of the world through the display of my own continual transformation. Let's say this last one all together. Cody, help us out in the back. I am now the great and strange sight that draws all nations back to Adonai. That is who you are. And the way and reason we can confidently affirm it is because you are this next slide. Saints, this has been the vision for some time. But our God often lays out vision that we become over time. This is who you are, people on fire in a dark world. Things are not going to get easier anywhere in the world. And that's by Adonai's design. He's setting you up to be on display as the light of the world. So I'm going to begin to pray. Worship team is going to launch us into his presence. Any act of renewal that you need, a reaffirmation of your full efforts, do it as men and women of God who know what rights you have been given in your Father's presence. Mighty one, we thank you for the ability to be renewed inside of you. Today we say we offer you every ounce of insufficiency, trusting that you will work through it and cause us to burn before the nations of the world. Lord, we invite your presence. Let your holy oil and your flame come into us now, mighty one. Can you sense the flame of God filling our hearts this morning? Today is a momentous day. We have a lot of things happening. But I can say that this message is reigniting the fire that birthed this church. It is setting ablaze the souls that are required by our King to take what is in here and bring it out there. Saints, we are and we can give our very best efforts to make every effort. We can walk with confidence that the fire of our God can always be ablaze inside of us. He is our high priest and he has given us that right of access to his throne. And that right of access gives us the ability to have his fullness dwell in us so that 
we give what he is to everyone else. I have one scripture that gives us some encouragement about how we are that great, strange sight. It's Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know that you have a better understanding and will have a better orthopraxy of what to do with those worn out priestly garments. Uh, no more facade of perfection and no more diving into the depths of despair, but we get to offer it before our God. We get to see the oil of God wick up into our worn out garments and the flame of his presence burn bright inside of every single one of us. We have every right of access to confidence. Confidence. Heads that are held high. It's a glorious thing to look around this room and see so many that are great and strange sights. We are a peculiar nation to the world. Why? Because God chose us to get their attention by first getting our attention with his flame. Now I was thinking about Moses as they kicked it off with Exodus 3. Moses is experiencing a transformation, a birth of a kind, and he's becoming the man that God had always destined him to be. And as he is offering up those worn out garments, the flame of God begins to burn in him and does not consume him. But realize what is on the horizon of what he does after that burning bush. He is taking that flame of God that does not consume the people of God, but it also stands as a consuming fire for the enemies of God. It stands as their judgment. It makes them have to respond. I want to bring that to something very pertinent to our time right now, and it's the nation of Israel. You know, you look over to your left side of the stage, and you see that wooden pulpit, and what's on the front of it in leather is burned in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. From the very foundations of this church, we have been in love with and in total support of the nation of Israel. The current nation of Israel. What God has said repeatedly over and over in his word is that he would never forget his people. And his people Israel being that. Currently, right now, yes, we still support Israel. We support who they are so much that we are raising up sons and daughters to sow as seeds into that land to be a burning manure of God's presence that brings revival to his people. So with that, I want to instruct you of what you can and should do starting now for the nation of Israel that is under attack. 350 so far have been tallied to have lost their lives 
because of the enemies that seek to destroy Israel at this moment. I'm going to kick this off with Psalm 83. Sound booth, put up Psalm 83 in the ESV. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. This was true of the day that it was written, and it is still true of the day that we are currently in. Verse 4, they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. You know that on a daily basis, that is what the nation of Iran chants for a minimum of an hour and sometimes more. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia, Palestine, Gaza, with the inhabitants of Tyre. You know where Tyre is located at? Lebanon at the very north, who is also launching attack. Ashur also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian. As to Sisera and Jabin at the river of Kishon. Just pause for a minute. Y'all believe in the total God-breathed inspiration of his word. Yeah. What we are reading and will continue to read is still his God-breathed word yeah. and is useful for all things. Who were destroyed in Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Salmuna, who said, let us take position uh, possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. They are in covenant against God to take God's land from God's people. That's exactly what's happening right this moment. But listen to how this psalm continues. And we are going to agree and take wholeheartedly the same attitude. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Our God still reigns supreme in the heavens. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And where he has set the apple of his eye is Jerusalem itself. Like we read earlier in Zechariah 3, we echo what the angel said. The Lord rebuke you. 
the Lord of Jerusalem, rebuke you. So as we pray, we're going to pray for the shalom of Israel in this moment, that he would continue to preserve his people, that he would be a shield that would extinguish every flaming arrow, every rocket, every ploy that the enemies of God has set against him. Mighty King, right now, we lift up to you, your nation, the nation of Israel. And we say, let your shalom envelop them, Lord God. Let it fill the land. We agree with your word. We agree with you that you would crush the heads of their enemies, oh God. That you would send your fire from heaven to be their shield and be their dome. Lord, that the sword of heaven would rise up and defend your people, oh God. And may the lives that are still there in that land, may they thrive under this tension. May they thrive in your name because they call out to you. Bring your peace, bring your life, and bring revival to your people, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we all shout and triumph. Amen.